Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Inside Battlefield. My name is Tom, Community Manager for Battlefield. And as been requested by many of you, today we're excited to sit down with the narrative team to talk about the story and lore of 2042. Uh, with me today are Joe and Michael. Guys, welcome. Hello. Hello. How's it going? It's going pretty good. Yeah. Very excited. Good. Excited to talk some story? Some, some yeah. Lore? No, it's 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 nice to to see the the questions coming in from the community and should be a lot of fun. Yeah, I think so. So um for folks listening who do not know you, could you start with an introduction about who you are and what you do at DICE? Uh, yeah, my name is Michael Harden. I am uh, an associate narrative design director here at DICE, and I was the narrative lead for 2042's year one. And my name is Joe Perleski. I was a narrative writer on Battlefield 2042 year one, and I am the narrative lead for everything after that awesome so you your your team keeps the story for 2042 going yes and there's much more involved to than just the story of course uh i like as a community manager I've, i see some of what you do behind the scenes so hopefully we'll talk a little bit about, about that today um so do you just want to start talking about yeah, the let, thing. let's get into the, <laughs> the juicy details uh yeah so i think for for the big question that we've received from a lot of players um what does the narrative team do here at dice and for battlefield as a series so maybe one of you can just start off and just dive in there it's a big question for us because we do a lot across the game um i feel like we're involved all over the place from characters to uh maps to our marketing effort, what what we release in transmedia storytelling. Uh, there's just a whole ton that goes into working in narrative indice. And then, of course, we have our own initiatives, like the the story told over our seasons and uh, how the characters interact with that story. Yeah, we, you know, narrative touches a bit of everything, which we'll have lots of opportunity to get into that more later. But, you know, I like to think about how you know, we're we're involved early on in the planning process as we start to explore things and flesh out ideas with different teams. And then we kind of stay involved going into more of the micro details of all the different pieces of of how you build a story. So yep. you know, it's we're we're in the the engine and the caboose, if you think of it as a train. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. And a lot of it's just keeping things connected so making sure that if we release a new piece of content it fits within our world in some way or it's connected to a character it has that there's a bridge always with narrative to make things make sense it's kind of one big effort on our on our place yeah style and tone are words we we throw around a lot because it's with something like battlefield it's kind of important to you know we can tell lots of fun exciting stories but we need to make sure we keep it grounded in whatever rules we set up for our world. Yeah. So your team comes up with those rules as well? Or is it in com- or by Not working always. with other teams? Yeah, or? we work a lot with other teams. So it's it's always a relationship of what what fits, what can fit with a little adjustment and what doesn't fit. Uh, and that's kind of the position we come at uh, every problem with or every new feature with. <clears throat> Where do we put this in? How does it how does it work effectively? And when we plan, for example, our, our seasons or the new content, how early does the narrative team come in? For example, the I don't know, let's call them the the, the creative team or the art team. They they come up with, with ideas, and do you immediately get together? It's like okay, this fits in the story. How or should we should move the story to fit there, or how does that work? I think it's always. I, the the short answer is yes. Uh, <laughs> we come in early. We talk about what each team is planning. We on our side try to make it fit with our long-term story plan. So we kind of come in very early, and we have an arc that we want to to tell far beyond we know, knowing what's going to happen in a future season. So we have a plan for a specific period of time. 
then the creative team comes up with the map. They come up with the concept of a character, and we figure out how to connect that with what our long-term plan is. If we need yep. to change our long-term plan, we do. Uh, but we're in involved quite early with each team on every map, on every the tone of each character. Yep. It's oftentimes that we have an idea for a character before we have a specific role for a character, and then we figure out, okay. oh, do these fit? If they don't, then we switch out the character. Okay. Uh, and I mentioned the creative team, but first of all, all, all the teams here are creative. So yeah. it, was a, it was a weird way to refer to a specific team, but I just couldn't think of a better name <laughs> in the moment. Right. But like we have the levels team, you know, we have narrative, we have art, we have core gameplay. So all of them I, do creative things. Yeah, but and, yeah. I, and you know, it's exciting ideas can come from all places, Yeah, you know, and so it's, you know, again, it's very it's a lot of collaboration. Like we'll have our long-term story plans, but then when, you know, someone comes up, if someone comes up with a really cool, like art pass for a level, then it becomes like, if it doesn't exactly line up, that's like, okay, well, or does it like, can we find a way to incorporate it and to help it build out and, you know, expand our world even further? You know, it's, they, you know, we kind of act as, as a bridge, in that way with a lot of our, you know, world building, it's, you know, we have our story goals and then we also just pull in other pieces and expand from there. Okay. Um, then for the next topic, 2042 specifically is a multiplayer only game. So how do we write and tell a story and uh, a narrative through a multiplayer only game? Can you talk more about that? Yeah. Uh, to begin with, I don't think we approach it that differently at okay. like, the concept stage. Uh, we come together in our group. We put together a plan for what will exist within a within a season, within a year or more. Uh, uh, we do a story arc. Uh, and so I'm a big structure guy, I think, much to the chagrin of some of the other team members. I like to follow very no comment. <laughs> closely uh, the methods Sid Field uh, introduced in screenplay. I really like Dan Harmon's story circle. I like, uh, uh, what is it, screenwriting, the sequence approach by Paul Joseph Galino, I believe. So I'm very much like, okay, let's look at a year, let's break down where each season happens, and let's talk about uh, what each beat is uh, and how we deliver that. And then we'll figure out the details as that season comes up. And that's quite similar to how I would approach a single-player campaign. What's the story? Uh, what are we doing at any given time? I think from then our tools become quite different. We don't have a single-player level. Uh, so the way that the story is kind of communicated is quite different. Uh, I'll let Joe talk a little bit more here. Yeah, I mean, I I love working in multiplayer storytelling. Like, this has always been something I've really enjoyed. It's, like Michael said, we we have a, we, we do have a linear story. Like, there is a story arc that we're telling, and, you know, it follows a, a traditional three-act structure, but how we deliver it is very different than conventional, like, single-player story methods. It's, it's a lot of, we, we leave pieces for our community to unpack. Like, you know, when we start a season, you know, we'll have a, a narrative structure for when story beats land, and then we'll utilize our different features to drop different pieces of that story in there and kind of, you know, let them do a little legwork to assemble it into a whole package. So it's it becomes a fun opportunity to, engage with our community as well Um, because, you know, we, you know, we'll drop stuff in our lore assets that we do before a launch. Then we'll, okay, as the story progresses, well, we have our, our season pass and player cards. So those player cards might continue those threads that are set up in the lore. And then, you know, we'll might, we might pay it off at the end with a, a hunt that we do before the next season, teasing where the story will be going next and wrapping up that initial arc from the beginning. And, you know, so we, you know, there is a nice traditional structure to it, but the way that we deliver it is a bit more, it's a bit more like, you know, giving them the pieces for a puzzle to assemble themselves. Do either of you have any favorite moments that 
of story that the community discovered? Like I, I know mine immediately, but I'm curious what yours are. Like something we did already. So like no spoilers ahead, obviously, but mm. something we did for players in game that just was awesome that you really enjoyed working on and then seeing players discover. Yeah, I think the narrative hunts have gone really well and they've built momentum over seasons. They've gotten more complex. I think for me, probably my favorite one was just the first one because we were just starting. And I know it's not the most <laughs> dramatic, but it was the the fulfillment of getting there uh, because season one launched without uh, a narrative hunt kind of leading into it. Uh, but season two had a really strong one that Joe put together. Uh, can, can you talk what those were as well for folks who yeah exactly so season two introduced charlie crawford and the dark market uh so the season one hunt was a number of crates dark market crates i think through a number of levels i'd have to remember which one specifically i know kaleidoscope was in there uh and so by interacting with the crate you got a player card it was really fun to see at that time like going in on Portal, people were setting up specific servers just to find that crate, where it spawned on the map. Uh, and then you'd get the player card, and it was fun to see people equip it before the dark market was even out. It was just one piece of iconography, uh, a communication from Crawford. It was just cool to see the level of interaction there. So that that is my favorite. Even though it's the smallest, it just meant something for me and I think the narrative team. Uh, I think... <laughs> Similarly, I think my favorite uh, was the most bombastic, uh, would, which would be the, uh, the hunt we did uh, leading into uh, Season 4, 11th Hour, which was where we had the, uh, the missile attack on the Nordvik building. And kind of, that was where we got a bit more elaborate with, with our puzzles. And we added a little bit of complexity there, which... Um, the previous ones had some, but we we season the season three one was really about the one leading into season yeah the season three one was really about pushing you know what we could do and how we could engage and what I personally love about these hunts is just it's it's very community centric yep. and it's a great chance to just watch like you know everyone on Discord. We see you get together and, you know, try to put the pieces together and like assemble something. And it's, yeah, no, they're, they're, they're a lot of fun. And, you know, it's a nice chance to, you know, get a little bit, get a little bit of lore in there, get a little bit of teasing content that'll be coming out next. And, you know, in, in the case of, of that one, just blowing something up. That's kind of a fun one to dig into as well that touches on how we approach Stories at Dice. So that... We blow shit up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's step one. Blow shit up is on the board. Uh, but we had this beat, and it was the beat of Wolf's betrayal of the Exodus. So we knew that Wolf had been using uh, Irish and the crew of the Exodus since season one. Uh, and our post-it was, at some point <laughs> in season three, <laughs> Wolf will... Uh, betray the Exodus and the struggle to figure out how we could make that the most impactful for the players was it was always kind of a, a worry on the board like how do you get this uh, yeah. for in the story it's the uh, what do we call it the second culmination was it around there it was just before it just before it yeah. sorry see this is why your damn circle <laughs> yeah, exactly it was in the it was in the take section of the story uh, for year one and the first thing on the board, and this is kind of how stories change. Am I allowed to say Yeah, I'm allowed to say this. Uh, <laughs> the idea was that we were going to destroy the Exodus, that Wolf was yep. going to attack the Exodus rather than the, the uh, printing facilities in Sweden. Uh, and we were struggling, like, we can't show that. Are we going to put that in a player card, or are we going to try to find a way to make it interactive? And it was something we do a lot, I think, is captured opportunities. Yeah. So there was work going on on a missile uh, to destroy one of the printing facilities. And we quickly came in and said, hey, 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 can we, can we borrow that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, it, it, yeah. was, it was just a, a really nice 
opportunity where things kind of, the stars kind of aligned there yeah. in a really lovely way. And, and the guys who were working on it were very gracious and willing to let us borrow it. And, you know, it became, you know, we, we didn't blow up the Exodus. Um, and that turned out to be fine and probably better for it, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, to be honest. But, you know, it, 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 you know, it kind of speaks to the whole, like, you know, we, we have our, our, our story beats that we want to hit and where we want to go. But, you know, sometimes the specifics of how we hit those beats, we figure out along the way as opposed to knowing exactly how we can execute on things. Just because, you know. I what, guess yeah. story is organic as well. Like sometimes it... I, I like to think so. Yes. <laughs> or, or am I saying something very weird now? <laughs> You're like, no. <laughs> well, the structure is in place. The solutions are organic. Okay. Like, it's the, it's the uh, I don't know, is this... When you kind of get in, you put something into the universe. You say, I want this betrayal to exist in some form. And then you find it. Like, is it a plan? Yes. Is it a fixed plan? Uh, no. But you get there in yep. the end, and that's kind of a lot of what we do in terms of capturing opportunities. There's a little bit of the whole, uh, oh, we'll, we'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah. Someone will make something by season three <laughs> that we will be able to use. Um, that was also my favorite moment. I was going to mention, like, the Rocket Impact. Uh, saw some really cool community moments there yeah. where folks, you know, Saw I, it, made some cool videos about it. Mm. I quite liked the people trying to block it with the helicopter <laughs> just to see what would happen. <laughs> uh, and, and another sh- little piece of piece of trivia that I wanted to mention: the room we're recording in right now is called the Exodus. Yeah, we, we named the 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 streaming podcasting room the Exodus after you know the the ship from 2042. So good um, thing we didn't blow it up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. We wouldn't be sitting here. Ima- right imagine now. that. No. Um, and then in terms, okay, so I think that was a good overview of, of how we build stories in a multiplayer-only game. Can we talk more about where um, other places players can go to find out the story? So you, you can find pieces during gameplay, as we just mentioned, mm-hmm. but there are other places where players can also find pieces of story, like player cards uh, mm-hmm. and more. So Who wants to take this one? Yeah, I'll... I'll... <laughs> I'll talk a little bit about this. Like, so, you know, it's, you know, like there's lots of pieces, right? So we have, you know, we have things like web lore and player cards. And, you know, we also have, you know, we have our, our hunts that we do, which we've incorporated more and more narrative into each one of those. And, you know, we, we added a new one with, with season five, with the loading screen text, which we've added narrative in there. Um, But even like, even our themed events, you know, are a, are a part of that. You know, we, when we have our, you know, f- to talk a little bit about uh, season three, for example, you know, we, we have the kickoff of the, of this conflict at this facility between, you know, U.S. and Eastern forces. And then you have the escalation, uh, you know, oh, get yeah, the little, three, you know, get the, yeah, the escalation of that conflict with the, the battle of Nordvik, where yep. both sides really kind of, hunker down and send in their their heavy-duty squads to kind of try to settle the score and figure out who's going to own this place. And, you know, that kind of... Those events have provided a lot of great, like, as far as outlets go, like, opportunities to do, you know, progressible storytelling. And progressible? I'm not sure if that's even a word. It is now. Okay, perfect. <laughs> Excellent. And, you know, even, like, it's a smaller thing, but even, like, looking at our cosmetics catalog... You know, like we have, you know, we have the, you know, we had the Leviathan division with this season four themed event. Um, we have a couple other squads. Uh, Silver Spear was a squad we introduced in the narrative and we have skins for them available. And we also introduced Fault with season four. And so really it's about, you know, trying to find all these little places to to sneak in opportunities to do world building. <laughs> this was me like eyeing you closely to see if you would accidentally spoil what's coming for <laughs> I, season I, five. <laughs> I, I, I may have been trying to mind my words <laughs> yeah. about, about anything. <laughs> I know nothing. Okay. Um, is, is there anything you want to add, Michael? Or? Uh, I mean, Joe covered it. It's really yeah. <laughs> for us. It's just keeping everything connected to the theme of the season. 
So, as he said, from cosmetics to the level to the characters to the player cards to even the bundles, the cosmetic bundles, trying to keep those connected to the overall fantasy of the world. One other thing I can I can speak to that that I just forgot until right now was uh, with uh, with season five, we're actually trying a few new things that are kind of already out there in the wild. And we're looking at, you know, we, we jumped a few years into the future in our story and we're kind of picking up with, you know, the, the now former Exodus specialists all kind of spread out around the globe. And with season five, we chose to focus on, from the story point of view, just, just four of them. And that was, oh my God, hopefully I can do this, Falk, Casper, uh, Dozer, and Boris. And something we experimented with with season five was, okay, how can we look at incorporating those specialists into other parts of our story? So, you know, it's like we, you know, like we highlighted them in, in our trailer and took a story beat with them there. And we picked up with them, obviously, in player cards, but we also looked for opportunities like with uh, just battle pass missions. Like how can we incorporate them and highlight them there as well oh. and just kind of really kind of focus on on just those four for this season. There is one thing that I recall uh, that I haven't seen picked up yet. So uh, from my side. Maybe we need to make it more prominent. But <laughs> so the, so <laughs> there's something players haven't. Well, in season four, there is uh, there's uh, speeches from Oz that can be heard, uh, and so I haven't seen these pop up anywhere. But it's a really interesting, and I mean, really compelling speech. Oh yeah! Oh my god! My, yeah. yeah, we have our uh, we have our in world media, which um, dev term. Um, we have our our radios in in I believe. Flashpoint, yes, which we have a speech from Oz that's been broadcast, and we also have a couple do, of. Do we? Because we we're kind of fully giving it away now. Do we want? It's been out there yeah. for like uh, okay. more than three months now. Yeah, no, okay. it's it, yeah, no, it's it's fine to talk about this. Okay. Like yeah. we also have like there's a couple of audio logs in there between Oz and Wolf that we've hidden around the map, mm. and you know just a few opportunities to kind of you know enhance and build out the the story between the two of them and their relationship a little bit more yeah i know it's hard to change the channel from the classic music so just for maybe 10 minutes switch it over and and wait for that oz broadcast to kick in it's pretty good it's it's quite a powerful performance and then we brought him back for our uh, season five trailer and he's the voice in there that is also a very cool speech. Yeah. Powerful. Um, I'm actually pretty excited when this podcast goes out. Folks are like, wait, what? There's something we haven't discovered? Yeah, pretty cool. Um, in terms of what the differences are between developing the story for launch versus keeping that story going during the live service. Can we talk more about that? Yeah, it's kind of like um, you're getting the train moving with launch. Uh, for us, it was getting enough everywhere to kind of make the world feel very real. You're figuring everything out. You're figuring out the characters. You're figuring out how they interact. You're figuring out the classes. There's a lot of uh, just exploration because you don't fully know what the game is going to be as it comes together. Uh, but you try to give enough to the world to make it all feel Good. It's interesting. Something that people want to play. Uh, in live, you transition from that exploration to much more understanding of what it is you've made. You can look back at the finished product and go, oh, yeah, that's it. Uh, that's what we're making. And then you add on top of it. And, of course, we find new avenues all the time. One of them, like we've just talked about, is the narrative hunts uh, to tell the story in different and interesting ways. But it, it, it's really that that change. We know the experience overall. Of course, it changes mm. as any game does in live service, but it's it's um yeah, really just that change. There's a lot more understanding, I think, in life about what your product is and what your role is to to make each season uniquely interesting. And there's a lot more yeah, and to kind of to speak to that a little bit, there's a 
greater understanding for where, for how, you know, we, we have the idea of where we want the story to go. And live is really, you know, the journey for how we, we get there. Because along the way, we, like you said, you find new avenues or, you know, there might be something cool that has been worked on elsewhere that we can incorporate. And, you know, it's, there's, I don't want to call it reactionary, but there's a bit of, there's a bit of improvisation that you have going on where you can, you know, kind of, you know, look at how players are reacting, look at what things are getting the team excited and kind of look at where, you know, okay, do I want, do we want to lean into this one thing a little more? Do we want to pull back from it? Like, okay, you know, if we can't, you know, we can't quite get this one thing this way, like blowing up the Exodus, how do we pivot that to something else? And there's, there's a, a, a little bit more thinking on your toes. Mm. And it's, I mean, it's a little, a little chaos, but it's, it's a fun chaos. <laughs> we, keep, we keep hearing that whenever we talk to other teams on the podcast about live service, it's very fast moving. Yes. It's just, mm. it's, the train has left the station and, you know, you can't stop it. So everything needs to keep moving. Okay. I think that's a, a good overview of that as well. I would love to talk a little bit about the actual writing process, the actual writing process. How do we write our stories? Like what goes into that? Mm, yes. Uh, the first step for <laughs> me is putting a story circle on a board. Uh, and then figuring out who the characters are and what beats you need to hit. Like there's a lot of revision. A story starts to tell itself once you have it on the board and you can mm -hmm. direct it in different ways. But I mean, what can happen is kind of what should happen in some ways. Uh, like, do we envision it as your team being in a room, whiteboard, yes. writing stuff yeah. up? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's absolutely. exactly it. Uh, and we split off. So once we have the the overall arc in place, at least we did in season one, I'll describe that approach. Uh, each writer took a segment uh, and went away and wrote the the in-depth story for that segment. We kind of knew what the what the twist, what the beats were going to be. We knew who the character was. I think at that time there was probably a few maps that we didn't know what the location was. Uh, but we put together all those details and I think Joe can talk more to that step. Uh yeah, sure. <laughs> um, no, it's so it's once you have it's it's a lot of revisions. It's a lot of you know. Okay, so once we have all the pieces, once we start, you know, we all break off and write, and then we come back together. We go through it. We review it. We we figure out what we like and don't like, and then we go back and write it again. <laughs> and kind of that's kind of the 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 basis of the cycle, unless there's something else that I'm missing you're speaking to. <laughs> no, I think you got it. Uh, in For the first year, we also had a writer assigned to each season season as kind of the shepherd of that season. So That's right. I think it's important to name drop our, our, our colleagues who aren't in this call. So we had yes. Phil. Phil writing season two and Charlie Crawford. Joe was on season three and we had Diana on season four. Uh, so each writer was responsible for their character and the yeah. backstory of that map. Yeah, it that was something that was really cool that I really it was it was an approach I hadn't seen before and I thought it was a lot of fun because it gave each of us writers the chance to flex a bit of our own creative muscles to to the different things like having Phil work on, you know, figuring out Crawford was incredible. And then he helped build out the dark market and work on those beats there. And I got, you know, I got to work on Zane and I love writing a hero character. So that was a lot of fun for me. And then, you know, the, the work, the work Diana did on getting Blasco and Flashpoint online was just like, it was just otherworldly. It was a wonderfully visioned character and it was an it was in a lot of ways it was the one of the the harder maps 
because it was the furthest out and it was kind of the culmination of the year one story. So there was a lot to kind of figure out. And, but yeah, that was, it was a really fun process working on those, splitting off those characters and those maps. Mm. You touched on characters. Can we talk more about the considerations we make when we build those characters? Yes. Uh, so I joined 2042 uh, in the last year pre-launch. Uh, so by that time, a number of the characters had already been created. So my approach to creating new characters was to look at what we had uh, and then figure out what we could add that would complement that group. Uh, so a big a number of questions like, who is this character for, really, in the audience? Like, um, what what is their overall tone? What is their their feeling? How is that feeling unique is what we're looking for. Uh, and who can they represent in terms of nationality or anything like that? Like, who who will identify with this character is a big, important question for us. And then in live service, our question was always, how do they change the story? Uh, so each character that we introduced in live service had a very specific function that moved the plot forward. So Crawford had information that he took from the Blackridge f- facility in Canada. Uh, Zane was responsible for the printing facilities in Sweden. Blasco was responsible for both getting the Exodus crew to uh, South Africa as well as a big part of the the breadcrumbs of that season, right? The narrative hunt. Uh, and then it's just a lot of exploration. So how, who were they kind of like? A big part of our work is trying to explain to other teams what this character should feel like. So we work a lot with audio. We work a lot with art, character art, uh, and animation to define this character. Uh, and we create a lot of reference content. And that's where another member of our team comes in, in Flora, who just goes through video content so much that we can share like multiple different characters and multiple different scenes and puts those together and says, look at this picture. (laughs) I'm painting you a picture of this character that we're going to introduce. Uh, And then we just move on to the the work of casting, making sure that we get someone who feels like the role, but then it also kind of evolves. It's again something like the moving train where – all these pieces come together from different departments, from different from casting. So you have a face now, and now you have a voice, and now you have uh, you have a body. They have a certain way that they move, uh, and you just try once you have that initial idea to create something that feels right at the end of the day. And I think we've done pretty well with that uh, so far. Yeah, the it's funny the the one thing that. I really thought was a fun part to work on was working with animation on the movement of each of these characters. Like the the extent to which we defined how these characters walked, how they posed, how there was a a wonderful effort to make each character feel unique on 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 just that level and it's you know, it's it gives character. It's just a very little thing that not a little thing, but it's it's a detail that goes a long way in speaking to you know how the the characters end up behaving. And and then we also had the the fun process of when we were going back and looking at our our original specialists. Like, how do we you know when we look at how we want to frame them now with these these reworks. We went back and looked at how they they walked and interacted and spoke and tried to find ways to expand that as well. Mm. But another consideration is just looking at our fictional world. So I think each time we introduced a new character, we said, where do they come from in the history of this world? And how is that interesting? Because this is a 2042 features a, a global conflict and global issues. Uh, challenges in terms of the environment. Uh, and so you see a lot of characters come from the EU. We've tried not to just create characters from the EU, but there are a number because the EU is part of the hardest hit uh, locations. I still haven't forgiven 
the person who removed the Netherlands from the map is <laughs> a Dutch person. <laughs> the yeah. Netherlands is just gone in the in 2042. Story. Yeah, there's a few failed states. Yeah, as the EU crumbled, as Germany Germany collapsed, uh, and so making sure that our characters are connected with the the challenges of the world and that there's a logic behind their inclusion and how they were impacted by the changes is really interesting to us. Sorry, I was taking a sip of water there. <laughs> yeah, I put uh, you on the spot. <laughs> yeah, I have a follow-up question there as well. Um, I know we've done a lot of work to ensure our characters feel authentic. Um, and I personally think we've done a very good job here. Is that something you can speak a bit more about? How do we ensure they are authentic? And maybe take a specific character that's on your mind as an example, if you have one. Yeah, so we approach things just really with the most open mind possible. So uh, one example I can give you is in season three when we made Zane. We knew we wanted to create a character who was from the Middle East. Uh, I'm not Middle Eastern. Uh, there are people within our studio that have that background. Uh, and so we just had a lot of discussions. And so how you build the character is you talk to people and you keep pitching. So we do a background and we say, this is what we've put together for this character. And we talk to a lot of different sources within our studio first who say, well, there are things that you could pull in here that you're missing right now. A great example is the Zane has two rangers uh, who are with him as he protects the Nordvig facility. Uh, Kalila and Dimna, I believe, unless I've unless I've forgotten. It's been a while now. Uh, but that's one of the examples where I think we had a reference to something more of like a Western uh, mythology. So I don't know whether it was Christian or something like that, uh, where it was more of a, yeah, I don't know, Michael the Angel or something like that. Uh, and so you get these kind of, well, don't, you don't have to use that one. Here's an example that I can give you for your use. Uh, and so that just helps us a lot to make the characters feel authentic. And so you really just have to go to, out of your comfort zone all the time because you're going to be wrong <laughs> when you make a character mm -hmm. from a, a culture you're not from. You're going to be wrong. Uh, and so just be open to change uh, is really kind of our first step. And and talk to people. You have to talk to people or you're not going to get yeah. it right. Something, something that you've repeated, which I think is is great advice when writing <coughs> such diverse characters, is start from the point of view of, I know nothing, mm. you know, and then, you know, explore, research, talk to people, and try to make it as authentic as you can, and make sure that you're, you know, you're taking on that feedback and listening. Mm. And that gives us the seed of the character, initially. Uh, and... What we have found really cool is that from those conversations, people get invested in the creation of this character. So we always have those resources in the studio from then on. Uh, and then EA, as a, as a company, has a much larger group who we can send all our materials to, and they help us work through uh, effectively any challenges that we have with the character. So it's it's not putting it all on one person within a studio. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think about this character? Uh, they have a network throughout the world that really helps us make sure that we're doing something accurately uh, and appropriately and interestingly. Yeah. We want to build cool and authentic characters. Exactly. And I think, I think for 2042, personally speaking, but some would call me biased, <laughs> but we have done a good job. We, we, we like to build characters that parts of our audience would be like, that's where I'm from. Mm, you know, yes. that's, that's my home. That's, yep. that's me. You know, it's, it's an opportunity to, you know, we, we want these characters to feel familiar to, to our audience. And it's like, there's, there's challenges with it, but they're, they're, they're fun challenges because mm. it's, it's, it's great to just to highlight so many cool people. Mm. And I think Specialists. We, yeah. And we have a team who wants to learn and be accurate. So that's fun as well. It's like every character is a new opportunity to learn something about another yeah. area of the world, which is a lot of fun. And there's always someone. Uh, EA is a very diverse company. So there's always someone that we can find and talk to. Uh, the same is true for our Spanish 
specialist in season four of Blasco. Oh. Uh, EA's localization is done in Spain, uh, Madrid. So we had a ton of support from localization testers on on that character. And so it's just fun. You meet different people within the studio. They they give you a ton of advice. They give you little nuggets that you can put into the character. And it's it's a good experience. Awesome. Um, as for the story itself, a lot has happened. Can you give a recap about the story so far? Mm. See, now my mind goes back to a whiteboard. And that's how <laughs> I can give you the beats from the whiteboard. I mean, what we know, there are years leading up to the events of Kingston. So superstorms, wildfires, crashing economies. Kingston 2042, Death Speak, sorry. Oh, thank you. We can yeah, continue. I knew yeah. it was going to slip in. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then the our game opens with a... With a satellite landing in Doha. Uh, and this satellite was part of a much larger, uh, I would say, disaster within the world of 2042, which is the 2040 blackout. And it it effectively had a had a cause. It caused the blackout or mm-hmm. the, the program behind it caused the blackout. Uh, so the satellite lands in Doha and the retrieval of the satellite kicks off a global war. Uh Irish and the Exodus get caught up in this. There's a, a conflict with Oz. He has the information uh, that leads, that leads, <laughs> that his reveal of this information kicks off this global war. Uh, then we kind of go on the, this hunt of information. What is the satellite? What caused the 2040 blackout? Uh, which takes us to Canada. A character named uh, Wolf reaches out to the Exodus. This is someone we had a lot of fun with because a lot of Battlefield campaigns in the past have had a CIA character like Whistler who shows up and, and gives you some information. They have information that isn't accessible to Irish. And he sets us on a path of kind of undoing the damage that the Exodus caused by this conflict with us. Uh, and this leads us through multiple locations. I'll, I'll let Joe speak a little bit to this. Yeah, and once once Wolf and the Exodus crew get introduced, then we kind of have the the hunt for Oz narrative, which we kind of spun out over the course of, of several seasons. And at first they believe Wolf and the CIA and the Exodus crew believe Oz is, is building a weapon. Um, you know, there's the attack on the Black Ridge facility where a bunch of tech has been taken and, that leads them ultimately to Crawford, who reveals that, no, no, he's for sure building one. And then they follow a, a breadcrumbs transmission network, which takes them to uh, the events of Spearhead, where, you know, they're coming in. They're like, okay, he's definitely building a weapon. Let's go in and shut it down. And then the truth turns out to be a little more complicated and not as straightforward as that. And from there, we have, you know, Zane reveals the truth and that Oz isn't trying to build a weapon. He's trying to use the weather tech that was developed with uh, Steadfast Refuge to build a, to help construct a new stable environment somewhere. He wants to use this tech to... Uh, what's the phrase? Uh, <laughs> this is actually a good side topic. Uh, geoengineer. Geoengineer. Yeah, I should know this. I've I've only been repeating it the last year. <laughs> yes. Um, he he wants to build a geoengineering machine um, to help you know make a hostile environment livable, and he wants to build a home for for all notepads. And this location is uh, where we go to in Flashpoint. And at this point, uh, Wolf has has revealed his his true intentions that he has you know no intention of you know he whether there's an actual weapon or not his whole goal is to kill Oz at any cost even if it means taking out the Exodus crew in the process. And then you have you know after a very tumultuous start in the Exodus short film where Oz and Irish go their separate ways. By the time we get to season four in Flashpoint, the crew's the crew has reunited with Oz and are working on his side to try to help build 
that better world. And we kind of see the culmination of that in the uh, narrative hunt leading up to season five, where they conduct their first weather test of this, of what this satellite can do and how it can fix the environment. And we kind of use that as, that's the very, not not exactly high level, we got into a bit of details (laughs) there. But, you know, year one is, is the story of, you know, it's very much a story of revenge. It's a story of redemption. You have Oz who wants to build a better world, but perhaps the means he's going about it aren't the most ethical, at least at first. And you have the story of this Exodus crew who are, you know, they start the story very much lost and on their own and leading to them eventually, you know, finding their way home. And, you know, it's, you know, it's your, you know, you have your, your secretive CIA operative with his whole side agenda. Mm. And, and that was my, my very brief attempts to <laughs> poorly sum up year one. <laughs> yeah. I feel a, like that needs to be edited out of there. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, thank you. I think that was a, a nice overview of the story so far and also a, a wider discussion about how the narrative team operates and how we write our stories, our characters. Um, then the last section we have and the most important one of the podcast that everybody listens for is uh, the cookie of the week. So I want to give a shout out to Nika, huh? who is our official cookie supplier now for the podcast. The official, thank you, Nika. Thank you, Nika. But the official title of Cookie Connoisseur as well. And she brought some cannoli for us today. Oh. So if we want to, I want to. <laughs> yes. We, we can have a bite just uh, as we finish off the podcast. Um, normally they're in a box, so it's not really a live unboxing, but... <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's an unbagging. It's an unbagging. unbagging. Of the oh, with the, with the bonus bag sound effects for the experience. See, now we're getting into narrative world, because I ask this question often. Like, is, is that the right term? Is a cannoli a cookie? I, I don't know. Joe, we do Joe, usually... is a cannoli a cookie? Does it matter? We actually always talk about the lore of the cookie while we eat it. Since I'm talking with the narrative team, <laughs> let's go into the lore of cannoli. Well, see, this is where we approach a situation where I say, I don't know anything first, and we need to reach out to an Italian. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the story of, of this particular cookie is, is that the cookie connoisseur, Nika, brought them to us from, I would say, a decently faraway land known as the northern part of Stockholm on her way into the office this morning. And she thought about putting them in a box and then decided that, no, the experience of unbagging cannolis in real time would be far worth the experience. And it's quite delicious. These are next level. They're really good. They are really good. I think this is the... 16th episode of the podcast or something so we we ate a bunch of cookies but i think these are my favorite ones so far do you have a tier list no but we should (laughs) (laughs) let's whiteboard this (laughs) Mm. damn we have more so on the podcast is over like we'll probably go go back to uh, eating cookies don't be jealous, everyone. They're only just the best cannolis I think I've ever had. Yeah. Is there like pistachio cream in there? Mm-hmm. What it tastes like? I I don't actually know what a cannoli is supposed to be like, but whatever this is, if it, if this is the correct way to do it, it's... I think it's pistachio. Damn it, Stacey. <laughs> okay. I think I, think I, I have a different one. Yes. Mine is lemon, and I was ah. just reacting to the two of you as if you were crazy. <laughs> And I thought, I won't say anything. When life gives you lemons. They've just lost their minds. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, just agreeing, like, yeah, sure, guys. Yes. Uh, sure. It is pistachio. <laughs> mm. Okay. I like whenever we wrap up the podcast with Cookie of the Week, I'm just talking with my mouth full of cookies still. Mm. Oh, it's perfect. So I, I will finish this cookie. And then we are actually wrapping it up. 
Mm. Damn, this was a... My favorite cookie on the podcast so far. So, again, shout out to Nika. She's up the cookie game for us as a team. Mm. Um, anyway, <laughs> that's all we have for today. So it was a lot of fun to sit down with the narrative team. This was an episode that was actually very much requested, so I, I was happy to do it today. Happy um, to be here. Yeah, hopefully we we delivered. I I I I can surely say you did. So uh, yeah, Joe and Michael, thank you for being here. Is there any uh, final thoughts you would like to share, or maybe something to say to the community? I just want to thank the community again. I think. Just the engagement we see on the narrative is always super exciting. I'm always trolling Reddit, uh, reading what people are saying each season. It's just, it's super enjoyable. I, I appreciate it so much. Yeah, we we wouldn't be able to do what we do without you guys. Like, we're the reason why we get to do this every, you're the reason why we get to do this every day. And, you know, always keep looking for stuff. There's always more stuff there. <laughs> like he's smirking you can't see but he's smirking um, so folks remember to check battlefield.com as, as well if you want for more of the story obviously it's in game as we talked about in the podcast uh, if you want to get in touch with us hashtag inside battlefield on social channels or podcast at battlefield.com so feel free to send in your questions and then lastly from all of us here at our battlefield studios stay classy and ptfo thanks Amen. everybody Bye-bye. Okay.